0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah 35. As you're turning there, I want to give you or thank you for your kindness and your love to uh, Lake Brant and to myself over the last number of years. You've been very generous and very gracious, and the Lord has blessed us through you all. So a uh, hearty thankfulness from all of us. Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Then shall the layman leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty grounds springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Amen. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. As you turn there, I want to acknowledge thanks to the session and pastor for the Kind invite to serve you all these two weeks. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. This is the word of the living God. Let us pray. O God, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the earth. Herb, may your name be proclaimed, the greatness of your salvation and of your Savior. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As we turn to the book of Acts, We understand it's written by Dr. Luke. And what Luke does in the Acts of the Apostles, perhaps more appropriately spoken of as the continuing works of Christ Jesus through the Apostle, he is making a contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament community. We might think of it like this. It's a before picture and an after picture. And we like those pictures because it tells us, it shows us the contrast. Luke here is vividly portraying the new covenant community and the gospel that founded the church based on the apostles and upon Christ and the poured out spirit of Christ. And so in our, in our narrative this morning, we have a beggar at the temple. And he's there among the covenant people of God. But he's there without the presence of the Holy Spirit of the exalted Christ. And here he was desperately in a situation which called for help. He was calling out for help. Here was a poor man who was reduced to humiliation as he begged for his daily needs. But what Luke is telling us is that now things have changed. It's no longer the same. Because Christ, the exalted Lord, has poured out his spirit upon the church. And that makes all the difference in the world and in this man's life. In fact, now Luke can say that God's people care for their own. If you look at chapter 4, verse 34, Luke can say, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds for what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to each as any had need. There was no not a needy person among them, Luke could record. And this is Luke's way of of displaying the glorious beautiful work of Jesus Christ in the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in our narrative, Luke is giving us then an illustration of Christ's heavenly ministry to demonstrate how he began the healing of the cosmos through the power of his name. In those who have faith, adding folks to the church, first adding them and then multiplying them, beginning in Jerusalem. And so from this text, this morning, Acts chapter 3, I want you, first, to marvel at the miracle, second, to embrace the message of the miracle, and third, to respond with thanksgiving and praise for the miracle. And so first, the wonder of the miracle. On this particular day, we find Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which Luke tells us what the ninth hour, we would translate that to be three o'clock in the afternoon. And on their arrival, they encounter this beggar, a lame beggar. And notice the details that Dr. Luke gives us here concerning the desperate need for this man. He was lame from birth. Every day he was carried from his home to the gate of the temple. That was his habit. Not weekly, not monthly, not every Friday, but every single day. Furthermore, they laid him at that gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, because what better place? to get alms then from the covenant people of God. He would be well provided for. And as Peter and John approached the beautiful gate, the beggar asked them for money. He said to them, as he saw Peter and John, he asked, verse 3, to receive alms. Now, Peter and John gazed at him, and he, they said to him, look at us. And Peter understood at that point that he was requesting some funds. He wanted some alms from them. And Peter and John, they didn't have alms to give. And so they reply, I have no silver and gold, verse 6, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. And amazingly, immediately, fascinatingly, this man rises up and walk, and walks. Now it's it's amazing so often as we read the miracles in the gospels or in the book of acts we 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 just read past it gloss over quickly but it's amazing when you look at the details here is a man who's been lame from birth and now Peter raises him by the right hand and immediately his feet His ankles were made strong. Notice the careful details of the doctor. And he leaped, he stood up, and he began to walk. It's truly amazing. It's absolutely incredible. It was instantaneous. There was this creation, this immediate creation of muscle tissue. Nerves working from the brain to the legs so that he could walk, bend his ankles, no physical therapy needed. Truly amazing. And what we have here, though, is much more than just physical healing. And that's the great thing about this. We need to pause just for a sec here and notice what happened. Because Peter's first words gave this man no hope. He said, I don't have any silver or gold. But then they had something to offer this man that was much greater than physical blessing. They had much better to offer to this man. And you see, the apostles, they understood the condition of this man. They understood his ultimate problem, the greater reality that was before them. This man's physical ailments were on account of sin. Not his sin, but because of sin, of Adam's sin. And this is the effect of Adam's sin. This is the effect of Sin in God's good creation. Sin leaves us twisted. Sin leaves us misshaped. Rending us helpless like beggars. But it wasn't just physical. That's what we see with our physical eyes. But it was spiritual. This man had paralysis of the soul something you couldn't easily detect. He was alienated from God because of his own sin, his personal sin. And thus, what Peter and John gave this man was the great remedy, the great remedy for the world, Christ Jesus, the only physician, the heavenly physician, the only one who could heal body and soul, verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now what's very interesting, if you know the Gospel of Luke, that Dr. Luke gives us, out of all the possible miracles that Luke could include in his gospel, he gives us a very similar healing. Chapter 5 of Luke's gospel. And there the Lord healed a paralytic. And the Lord gave that man, that paralytic, the exact same command. Rise up and walk. It's no coincidence then that Luke chooses this miracle out of the many miracles that the apostles performed to be recorded for us in Holy Scripture. And why is that? Because he wants us to take our minds back to our Lord's miracle, to his healing in Luke chapter 5. And why is that? Because there Jesus explains to the leaders, to the Pharisees, what it means when he said, rise up and walk. There we have the great commentary on the words of the apostles here. And what was the meaning of rise up and walk? Well, Jesus tells them, Your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. When Jesus healed that paralytic, not only was there a physical healing that he could walk again, but his soul was now at peace with God, and God at peace with his soul. Your sins are forgiven. And so in other words, now, as, as Luke records for us what the apostles have done here in Jerusalem, he is telling us that this is not just, whoa, this is not just a physical healing. This is a spiritual healing of the soul. This man has just received the gift of regeneration by the transformation Of the Holy Spirit. The continuing work of the exalted, resurrected Lord Jesus here in Jerusalem. And what a glorious picture of salvation that Luke is giving us. It's like us. We can't do anything for our own salvation. We're helpless, as helpless, as crippled as this man. Unable to walk. But when God brings salvation, we're enabled to walk. And what a glorious reality. And if you're a believer here this morning, you know it. There's no greater joy, no greater satisfaction in our God. There's nothing more glorious and blessed in all the world than to be spiritually healed by the healer, our Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like the paralytic, we too were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And that's the gospel. And that's the gospel that will and must be preached throughout all the world. That's the amazing miracle that we see here. And so, first, the wonder of the miracle, which ought to cause us to marvel at the goodness and the grace of our God, the power of our God. But second, the message of the miracle. What is Luke showing us here but the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, in particular here of Isaiah chapter 35? Isaiah there is prophesying about a cosmic restoration, the new heavens and the new earth. He is speaking, verse, verse 10, The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. No more, no tears, no sorrow, gladness, and joy forever. But notice verse 3. The weak hands will be strengthened. The feeble knees shall be made strong. And then verse 5 and 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf don't stop. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Luke is saying this now has happened right here in Jerusalem. The leaping of the lame, Luke is saying, is the sign of the salvation of our God in the context of the renewed creation It's a sign that the Spirit of Christ now has been poured out upon the church so that God's people can walk on the highway, as Isaiah says, the highway of holiness, the way of holiness. No unclean person shall pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Now I want you to notice the progression in Scripture. Where in the Old Covenant do you have a man who's lame? If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 10 or 9 rather when the prophet speaks of The climax of David's kingdom, of his power, of his grace, of his compassion, his mercy as the wonderful, most powerful type of Christ in the Old Testament. He gives us the story of David. And he calls, because of covenant with his friend Jonathan, he calls Mephibosheth, to feast with him at the king's royal table. And as we read this narrative in 2 Samuel 9, a number of times it tells us that Mephibosheth was lame. And that's the emphasis from Mephibosheth, about Mephibosheth. The emphasis about David is his graciousness, his kindness as the king, his gentleness to those who are lame. And so it ends this way. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. But it doesn't end there. It ends like this. Now he was lame in both his feet. A lame man. That's the first layman in Scripture. And then we have, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 5, Luke tells us about the layman that our Lord Jesus Christ healed. And what does Luke tell us about this layman? Well, that he walked. He walked. He was healed. But now, as we continue on, In Acts chapter 3, the risen Lord Jesus Christ now gives a greater sign of his power to heal and to save. You'll notice that the lame man, he not only walks, but he leaps like a deer. He leaps like a deer. He leaps for joy, faith in Christ Jesus now. That he has been restored to complete health is his response. He's so excited he cannot be contained. And what Luke is telling us is that this is a preview of coming attractions. The future breaks in to the present. Heaven has come down, and here we have an incredible picture of the power of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the church and upon the apostles as they now continue the work of the resurrected Christ in glory. The Holy Spirit, as you know, the sign of the new covenant. And so this is a healing. This healing is an illustration of our Lord Jesus' final completion of his restorative work by his Spirit. A new heaven, a new earth, new bodies, resurrected bodies by the Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that we'll not be sick till that time. No, Luke is telling us it's a preview of coming attractions. And this ought to give us great hope then in our God. God will make all things new. He will restore all things, all things in His new creation. Luke is telling us the best is yet to come, but it started, it has begun already. Look up and see. But there's another lesson here for us that Luke would want us to learn. And it comes in this gospel command that the apostles, repeating our Lord Jesus, says to this lame man, Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. It's not only a gospel command, it's also the gospel order. The cripple could never, ever walk if he first didn't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the resurrected Christ. And the gift of resurrection life. And we see this emphasis as Luke uses particular words. In verse 6, verse 6 Luke tells us uses the word rise in verse 7 raised up this is this is resurrection language this is the exact language words that Luke used in the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost the language was spoke of Christ's resurrection, which brought forth new life, Acts 2, 24. In other words, Luke is using the same language to indicate that the cripple, that paralytic, had become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Remember how the Apostle Paul puts it in Second Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's what we now see by faith. The work of the Spirit always begins inward and then proceeds outward. Our bodies shall become new, restored, restored. Again, one day, just like our souls. We are now new creations. But the best is yet to come. But Luke draws another connection between the healing of this paralytic and Christ's resurrection. In chapter 2, again in 24 and 25, where Peter, when he preached, he said, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning Christ Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, and then these words, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And he goes on, his body will not remain or see corruption. And what we have here, did you notice that little detail that Luke now uses about this paralytic? Why was it impossible for death to keep its grip on Christ? Peter, quoting from the Old Covenant, says, Because my right hand... God's right hand was upon him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Luke is telling is the declaration of the defeat of Satan, the tyranny of the evil one who brought about all the chaos that we see in our own lives in the world. And when Peter now takes the cripple by his right hand, do you notice that detail? By his right hand, verse 7, he wants us to draw the connection, draw the line right to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So we can say, why was it impossible for the crippled, diseased to keep its hold upon this man? Because the Lord is at his right hand. It's the Lord, the power of our God that brings about healing and salvation. And this is the common theme, isn't it, throughout the Old Covenant? The Lord's right hand brought victory. The death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ then secured our deliverance. Just like this man from Satan's power. And he bore it. He bore the curse. He bore the penal sanctions for our sin. So that we might now enter into the resurrection blessings of his grace. Christ. Isn't that glorious? This is what Christ has done for us. And because this man has become a new creation. He was enabled To walk. And notice again the repetition of this word. In verse 8, two times. Verse 9, once. In other words, he is using Isaiah's language. This man, this new creation, now walks on God's highway of holiness. God has done it. And he rejoices. And so we see that God's work of grace in our lives always precedes our walking. And we speak of that as gospel order. This is the way God's grace works in our lives. And we best not reverse its order because it doesn't work, at least not for long. And we all know it to some extent, don't we? There are many people who try to live the Christian life, but they can't. They do well for a little while, but then they fall back. And perhaps there are some here, some here that are acting like Christians, but are not. You know the commands of God? You know that you should keep them? Walk godly but you can't. You try, but you fail. And why is that? Because you have no power to live the Christian life. A life you know you should live. And why? Because you have not the spirit of Christ. So what's the remedy? Faith in Christ Jesus, just like this paralytic. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Luke is telling us in his Gospels and here, he's telling us, embrace this Lord Jesus. Embrace him for your life. Submit to his lordship in your life. And you will have the ability to walk on the highway of holiness. There's no other way to do it. Confess to him that you're paralyzed and you need healing. You're helpless. You're a beggar and you need grace. in Christ Jesus, the compassionate one, the greater one than David, he will bring you and host you at his royal table always. And you'll walk. But even as Christians, don't we know how many times we we fail at living the Christian life? A robust, empowering life by the Spirit. We get frustrated. And why is that? Because we're falling back on ourselves. We are not living out of God's grace. And that's the remedy, of course. We must live out of God's grace. We must abide in Christ. We must live by the Spirit. For if we go back to our own resources, we find out very quickly that they are bankrupt. They're bankrupt. And that's why the Apostle Paul so wonderfully confesses that as new creations then, it's no longer I, no longer Ori who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's the power of the new life that God gives us in Christ and by the Spirit. It's not trusting in the flesh. It's by living out of the Spirit. And in this way and only in this way can we walk on the highway of holiness with success. God wants us to walk on that highway with success. He wants us to succeed, becoming more and more as we walk on our way to become like the Lord who has saved us. And so the wonder of the miracle, the message of the miracle, and lastly, the response of the miracle When the Holy Spirit works savingly in the lives of His people, it always shows, at least in two ways. First, in a life of thanksgiving and a life of praise. And Luke wants us to see this. In verse 2, we see that the paralytic, the beggar, was laid at the temple gate. And Luke is so good with us, giving us the visual pictures in his narratives. At the beginning of the narrative, he's at the gate, the beautiful gate. Now we know why it's beautiful, because now he can enter in. And that's where we find him at the end of the narrative. This man was laid at the temple. At the end of the passage, he's in the temple. He's with the apostles, with the people of God, and he's praising God. He's leaping up with joy and thanksgiving for what God has done. Verse 8 and 9. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Wow. He was just there, unable to move, had to be brought in, helpless. Helpless. But now, by the power of a resurrected life, a new creation, with the power of the Spirit, he now goes into the temple to worship God. He's expressing thanksgiving and praise to the God who has saved him. He is so excited. He is so excited. He praises his God. He can't even be contained. I mean, we would think you're crazy. You're leaping in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. You see, he can't be contained because he understands the power of God's grace. All his life, he was close to the temple. But because of his infirmity, his uncleanness, his paralysis, he couldn't enter the temple. But you see now, God changes everything, and he's in the temple worshiping God. And that's the very first thing he does. That's his response. Worship God. He asked for alms, but he got much more than he asked for, didn't he? But then again, isn't this just like our God? Isn't this who our God is? He's so generous. He's so gracious with us. When he works his grace in our lives, we don't just scrape by. We just don't make it by the skin of our teeth. No, that's not how God works. His grace is rich and free and he offers us all things. His generosity is so great, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 8, Romans eight thirty two, that he did not withhold his son but gave him up for us all. He gave us his very best. There's nothing more that God could give us than his blessed son. And he did it so that you now Might become sons and daughters walking on that way of holiness, part of the royal palace. And I hope you're here this morning for the same reason God has redeemed you, and the only acceptable response is worship. It's worship, it's so exciting. God has redeemed us. We're on our way to glory. Co-heirs of all the blessings of heaven. That Christ even shares us the inheritance that he has won. That he has purchased with his own blood. His obedience, he shares with us. Talk about the generosity, the kindness of God. Not just now, but forever. Oh, my dear friends, God is... In his temple, let us worship him. This here, this gathering here in this place and throughout all the Christian church is but a foretaste of glory divine. Because that will be our eternal worship. But the second mark of God's saving grace in our lives is this. It will be seen by others. Others will notice it. You can't be a quiet Christian. You can't hide your Christian faith. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see what Luke is telling us in that last verse. God's healing in our lives is like an x-ray, we might say. How? It makes visible to others what God has done inside. The unseen inner cure of our souls is now what faith in Christ produces by the Spirit and everyone can see it's a beautiful thing. Everyone recognized this man. They are astonished. We learn later that this man was 40 years old. Never walked, but now he's leaping in the temple like a deer because of the greater cure, the paralysis of his heart. And my friends, when God works his saving grace in your life, it will show. It must show. It must show. There are evidences. Our Lord Jesus Christ said it very simply You'll bear fruit. Paul tells us that fruit, Galatians 5, it'll bear fruit. And so, my dear friends, young and old, these are the questions then you ask your soul Do you show forth the fruit of the Spirit? Do your lives give visible expression to the new creation that the Spirit has wrought in your soul? Is it obvious to all that you belong to the people of God? That the power and the reality of Christ Jesus in your life and God's grace to you in Christ can be seen? You can know. Are you walking God's highway of holiness? You know, this is what the Apostle Paul constantly was telling the church. He was urging us He continues to urge us that we make this holy calling visible in our lives. And and he then gives us how it ought to show in our lives. God's grace ought to be evident in all our relationships. As a husband, wife, as children, as pastors and elders, as citizens of the country, as workers, as employers, employees, every area. It ought to show. Or we put it very simply. Has Christ ever said to you, rise up and walk? Are you praising God? Are you leaping with joy? You will know. Because this is the most exhilarating experience any human person, any human being could ever enjoy in all the earth. There's nothing greater. The ability to leap and to praise God, to worship him in his holy temple, that truly is extraordinary. Amen. Amen. Oh God, we praise you for your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that makes us now alive in Christ Jesus. Oh God, we pray this morning that you would grant us more and more of your Spirit. You're such a generous God. You've given us your very best in Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to make us more like him and that the world might know That Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one now seated at your right hand, is the king of glory. The one who can unstop the ears of the deaf. The one who can make the lame walk and leap for joy. The one who frees the prisoner. And the one who brings salvation O God, we pray that this message of your powerful grace might be proclaimed throughout all the world this day, and that many might come to know our dear Savior, the one who is the resurrection and the life. O God, bring glory to yourself this day through the church, and bring sinners from darkness to light. We ask it in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.